Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, yeah. Do <laughs> <Hear> it again. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Range of Strength Podcast, a podcast that delivers unconventional methods for strength and flexibility. I'm your host, Lucas Aaron. And today we're problem solving fitness with coach Eugene Teo. Eugene, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's, um, it's great to be able to connect like this. I know that we met um, a few months back in Canada, but we didn't even get a lot of time to actually really chat. So it's cool to be able to sit down with you now and be able to talk shop and whatever else you have in mind. Yeah, for sure. And that was, uh, you know, as a longtime follower of your work, I was surprised to see you were coming in town. I know it was more of like a private uh, seminar tour kind of thing you were doing. I was like, oh my God, there's like no way I can miss at least coming in for a day. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Was, you know, cool to have that connection on social media, be able to reach out to you and just kind of link something up where I could come in and just participate. So that was a great experience for myself. And I mean, all kind of leads around to even just having this podcast now from that little event. So I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking with you about some things. Um, and like I said, uh, I have been a long time follower of your work and I really appeal to your outside the box kind of approach to things. And, uh, it would be great to give the listeners maybe that don't follow you as closely as I do just a little bit more background as to how this kind of all came to be for you and, like how you kind of established your career and fitness and coaching and all that sort of thing. Like it's nice to have a little sure. reflection time. Yeah. <laughs> First, I'm going to counter it really quick because I am curious. Um, how long have you been following my stuff for? Like what, what was maybe, if you can remember, what were the first posts of mine that you came across? Do you remember? Uh, it was like the twinkle toe thing <laughs> was posted around. Like I remember, uh, when was that? 2000. 18 or 2017 yeah i mean I, i've done like, it a few times i posted it a few times <laughs> i mean the yeah. first time i ever did it was around 2017 18 or so um and then yep. and that was on instagram so probably yep, that, 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 was, I guess that was the first time yeah okay okay and then yeah, yeah um that was when i was right into all the um all the circus stuff like <laughs> <laughs> um like i feel like i go through a lot of different seasons or um different times when I'm um, with my own training and my own exploration, my own work as a professional as well. Um, and that period from like 2014 around 2018, 2019, I was heavily into a lot of the unconventional things. I mean, I was always into it from when I first ever started training, but um, like when I was a kid even, but I really started going hard on it and pushing my own body to really dive into it um, like full bore through that three, four year period. Um, but I guess we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves there. A little bit about me and my background is um, I'm, a, I'm a trainer, I'm a personal trainer. Uh, I'm based here in Australia. I've been working in this industry since I was fresh out of high school. So about 12, 13 years ago now. Um, and my first background in terms of like serious training was, was bodybuilding. Like that was the first thing that I really got myself into. Um, although even prior to that, like 
that was when I was about 17 or 18 years old, I started seeing a bodybuilding coach and taking the whole training side a lot more seriously. Um, and that's how people identify me as, like, oh, Eugene, he's a bodybuilder. He's a bodybuilder guy. Um, although I haven't done bodybuilding since around 2015 as my last show. So that was like seven years ago or so. Um, and the amount of time I spent bodybuilding would have been maybe five years total. So I've, I've been out of bodybuilding a lot more than I've been in bodybuilding, but I guess I sort of get tied up with some, one certain pigeonholed personality. Yeah. Um, but even before, um, like you and I have spoken a little bit on Instagram about like the gymnastic bodies, um, Coach Summers um, and the, the Kit Lachlan and all that kind of stuff. Um, that was one of my first, that was my real first introduction to training. Like when I was a kid, 15, 14 years old, I was really interested in calisthenics. Like that's cool. what got me super like, this is amazing. Like I never mm. was that interested in how a lot of bodybuilders trains. Um, and not a lot of bodybuilders growing up, they'd look at all like the Ronnie Coleman's or the Jay Cutler's and watch all those training videos. I haven't actually seen any of those videos. It's kind of blasphemy to call myself a bodybuilder <laughs> when I haven't, I haven't watched the entirety of Ronnie Coleman's, like he had his DVDs or videos back then where he scored the 800 pounds for a bajillion reps or whatever. I've seen yeah. that one clip on YouTube, but it's like a rite of passage for a lot of bodybuilders to have to watch the, um, the entire thing. Right, like watch the entire movie and watch whatever was documented back then through the nineties. I didn't watch any of that stuff. I didn't care about it. Like I thought those guys, I don't want to train like that. I don't look like that. I like calisthenics. Mm. I like all of these maybe these fringe ways of training. And even when I was getting into bodybuilding, I um I heavily got into people like um Larry Scott and Vince Gironda, um, Bill Pearl. Like the first two bodybuilding books I ever bought were um Vince Gironda's Unleashing the Wild Physique and Bill Pearl's Keithley in, in a Universe. They're still my top two books that I like to refer mm. back to, not because they're all factually correct, but because they pose a lot of interesting ideas. They pose yeah. a lot of different um, thoughts. are like, oh, this is cool. And of course, there were some, there are some absolute gems in there, training-wise, exercise-wise, that, um, that are still very relevant today and that are still very paradigm-shifting yeah. in, in today's um, day and age. Um, but yeah, from there, I was bodybuilding for you know, a number of years, um, competing. Um, and after around 2015 or so, I was like, you know, I'm kind of getting bored of this whole thing. I've sort of pushed that to the point of where I'm happy with and content with, and I don't really want to take it further because it's going to take away from my life more in terms of um, not even thinking about the health side of things, but also just the time commitment side of things. So like, mm. I don't want to be doing this. So kind of sacrifices. Exactly. You know, mm. um, so I started pivoting a lot more towards um, teaching and sharing a lot of what I did, which, you know, it sort of happened serendipitously where through my last couple of years as a bodybuilder, that's when social media kind of became a thing. Like around 2013 to 2015, that two, three year period, that's when social media was like, oh, you actually, you actually build a brand and build a business off of this. You know, and I've yeah. been doing it for, for years. Like I started posting on Facebook in like 2011 Mm -hmm. I'd just post articles that I'd write up just as wall posts um, before the timeline was a thing. Um, I yeah. used to do little videos here and there, and that, that was already like my habitual thing. And then when Instagram came around and started letting you post videos, I'd post little sips of my training, and people were, oh, what's going on? This is kind of interesting. So at I the remember same you, uh, you made a post one time recently about the early days of Instagram. Maybe it was an email because I'm on your mailing list too. Right. Uh, it's just like about how when it first came out, because I was kind of 
doing some of that too at the time. It was like yeah. as easy as just posting a filtered picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all you had to do, right? And everyone was like, oh, sick. And, you know, it's just evolved so much since then, for sure. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that was it. It was, I mean, when I was just, when I was just posting random pictures, it didn't really do much. But uh, apart from just your, your close circles, but when I started um, posting articles, like I, I used to have super long captions back then because people would actually read captions back then. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> And then, yeah, when videos started coming out, I started sharing, oh, here's me with my clients, here's what this client's doing, here's what I'm doing with my training. And mm. people started getting interested because they're like, well, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit quirky. Here's a bodybuilder who looks like a bodybuilder, but he's doing some quirky things, unconventional things. Or here he is doing powerlifting style stuff because I was sort of heavily into it as well. But he's looking like a very typical bodybuilder with a very presentable aesthetic physique, whereas a lot of powerlifters... They'll be muscular and big, but they don't necessarily have that shape or flow to their physique. Um, so it ticked a lot of boxes. Like it appealed to a lot of mm. powerlifters. It appealed to a lot of bodybuilders. It appealed to a lot of health professionals. So people were asking me for a lot of just advice. So I started thinking, okay, this is something I can actually start doing more if I start taking myself out of bodybuilding because I don't want to be devoting more time to it. And that's what it was. Um, so I started doing a lot of teaching, running seminars around Australia around 2015, 2016, and then that then grew to um, international demand, started doing online touring, um, sorry, overseas, international world tours. Um, and that's pretty much what brings us to now, because there was obviously the pandemic around 2020. Um, so I stopped touring around that point. That's when I went all in with, um, with Gambaru instead and started developing that so much more. I mean, it, it was already a thing a couple of years prior, but um, as an educational platform. But I said, okay, I've got all this time now. I'm going to go all in and developing it into a complete system for training, nutrition, coaching, um, education, everything. Um, yeah. And that's, that brings us to, to now. Yeah. Yeah. And Gambaru method is like your training brand. Everything kind of falls under yeah, so, that yeah. category. Yeah. yeah. So Gambaru is like just a platform that I've designed to, um, I guess just help people avoid a lot of mistakes that I made because I say like yeah. one thing as an athlete, as a bodybuilder, or as just a general lifter, but also as a trainer and a coach and educator, I've made a lot of mistakes as I'm sure you have as well. Um, yeah. Because for me, I'm, I'm not formally trained in like exercise physiology or sports science or anything like that. I don't have any of that kind of formal background. So mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff has been self-taught or learned from other mentors and experiences um, and putting it together on my own. So it's not always going to be correct. It's not always going to be the best, best way forwards. But yeah. my thing is, okay, if I can make these mistakes, learn from them and create a better system based on all the experience I have, I'm going to deliver yeah. as much as possible and give people the education to empower themselves to avoid those mistakes. Yeah, that's cool. And I actually had a question later on with regards to that. Cause I think even just for the listeners themselves hearing that, and also a lot of coaches listen to the podcast um, hearing about coaches making mistakes has like so much value in just like how we actually learn mm. from our mistakes. Like when we start out and, you know, you have all these certain tools at the time, but you almost, you gain more tools from these certain mistakes that you kind of make along the way. Does anything kind of come to mind right away when you think about like, oh fuck, like I, I <laughs> when you started, you did something, you were like, what was I doing? Like, yeah, for sure. Like I mean, I would say I can look back on a lot of what I've been doing, training myself, teaching, and 
a lot of it was incorrect or I've changed the way that I present that or the emphasis that I put on that. Like one big example is for the longest time as a bodybuilder, my big focus is on the mind-muscle connection. How can mm. we get that strong connection to the muscle all the time? You feel like really crampy, strong sensation all the time. Mm. And when I would go into the gym here and train, it would be searching for that crampy sensation more than anything else. And it's very appealing because if you feel that muscle hurting and cramping and flexing when you're training, you're like, I must be doing something right. But then when I started getting more into understanding what is that sensation and why is your body giving you that sensation, I've realized, oh, it's actually more so because maybe we're putting our bodies into a more compromised position, like that fully shortened position is where you're going to get that cramp. Is that actually conducive to increase force production potential that's going to improve muscle, st muscle building stimulus? It's not. So it might feel good, but is it actually the thing we should be chasing after? And I realized, right. well, it's not. And, you know, that yeah. was a lot of the exercise that I was emphasizing and teaching and going towards and all the, the methodology that I was using saying this is what makes a good exercise. It was a, very heavily about the mind-muscle connection because, again, mm -hmm. the bodybuilders are super appealing. But then from when you go into the actual, I guess, science or the physiology of how muscle building works or how strength works or how the body works in general, you realize, oh, yeah, you are always going to feel a much stronger contraction on, say, a leg extension or a pike pulse than you will a squat. No matter what, mm -hmm. you're going to feel that contraction straight away. Is it because it's a better exercise or is it because you're in a different position? And is that position yeah. actually beneficial? Probably not. Like, it's not a bad thing to go there, but it doesn't mean it's going to give you what you want, per se. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, another big one that I, I, I was thinking about because of this podcast, I know, like, you're, you're the mobility, flexibility range guy. I was like, wow, I've literally done two complete 180s or maybe three or four 180s on the whole mobility flexibility world. You know, when I first started, like I said, I was heavily into gymnastics. I was into Kit Lachlan stuff. I was into uh, gymnastic bodies. I was doing a lot of stretching. Um, one, of my, one of my friends at the time, well, she's still a friend, um, she is an acrobat, she's a gymnast. She does a, she's a circus performer. So she used to do a lot of stretching and she'd take me through and t talk, talk to me all about her... Um, how her, her journey through stretching as a circus performer, how she'd be spending a few hours a day stretching as mm. dedicated workouts. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And like, if you scroll back far enough in my feeds, you'll see, oh yeah, there was a period of time, like 2011-ish, I was heavily into um, every day stretching as workouts and be like, hey, you're going to get sore from this. You, this is not recovery. This is actually training to improve mobility, flexibility. You are creating damage. You are creating length. You are creating adaptation here. You can't do it all the time. You've got to program it. Mm -hmm. um, and then at some point, I got away from that. You know, maybe for a few years, maybe 2013 to 15-ish, when I was bodybuilding a lot more, um, I started to think, is this actually beneficial? And... I think I made a big mistake there because I realized the ineffectiveness of passive modalities like foam rolling or massage or chiropractics or soft tissue release, how ineffective those things really are creating any real tangible change. And um, like we know that with a fair amount of certainty that they're, they're not bad and not going to kill you, but they're probably not going to make anything effective happen long-term part of this relaxing long your body, yeah. you know? So I was like, oh, okay, that's all garbage. And I threw that all away and I threw away stretching along with it. And I was like, stretching's a waste of time. 
um, don't do it. You should just focus on on training and training through a full range of motion and end range challenges under load. That's going to be more effective. Um, and then at some point around that point, as after spending a couple of years throwing it away, I realized, oh, maybe it's not stretching us, but maybe we need to just be focusing on, yeah, doing active training for mobility. Where again, we emphasize end ranges through like pike pulses, uh, where we do things like the Z press, different like overhead exercises to train that flexion position. Um, a lot of the things that you do, um, which is why I love what you do. And I was like, hey, this is, again, you got to train for mobility. If you want to get stronger, you train for strength. If you want to build muscle, you're going to build for muscle. That's train that kind of training. If you want to build mobility, you got to progress that in strength as well. And, or tra- progress that, sorry, in the exercises that you choose to help to progress yeah. your mobility. Um, and I got into that because I was flip-flopping again. And then at, again, at some point, <laughs> I was like, it's all a waste of time. We should just train. <laughs> and this has just been me back and forth. Now again, a couple of years ago, I said, you know what? I can't keep having these existential life crises where I keep flip-flopping back and forth. I need to start to go a lot deeper into the source of the research and looking out mm. and saying, what, uh, what is the actual science behind stretching? What's, not just like what's going on from like a muscle spindle or the Golgi tendons or anything like that, the neurology side. What's happening on a tissue level? And what are the different types of stretching? What are the different intensities of stretching and range of motion training? And then I realized, oh, shit. Like what I was doing 10 years ago was probably a good idea and I shouldn't have gone mm. away from it. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but that's life, you know. It's an exploration. You're always finding out and challenging yeah. your beliefs and, and obviously being open to change for it. Yeah, that's what I really appreciate in your work is just like, you know, the openness and willingness to be like vulnerable and show like I've done these things and it's, it's good, but this is also good as well. And why is this good? And, um, you know, I've come around to a lot of that kind of perspective as well. It's like, there was a time I thought it was all flexibility was a waste of time and you kind of find yourself in certain situations where you're like, maybe I should just go a little deeper and you know, really examine what's going on there. But, um, I think that's an important thing for us to even just share as coaches is like, you know, we don't have all the answers and we're very passionate about like one of the things that you say is like, I'm a problem solver. I'm not a coach. Help people solve problems. Like that's kind of where you go with that kind of tag. And it's, I feel the exact same way. It's like, as a coach, that's trying to help more people. We're trying to solve problems and better understand these, you know, ideas and how they come together um strength and flexibility meeting as one it's still i think a problem to solve because it's gone so far one way and the other um yeah and that's something i've always seen an emphasis in your work even the the years when i first started following you when there was a little bit more of that bodybuilding kind of point of view there was still a lot of emphasis on range like i saw this connection to yeah this guy is, he's not just bodybuilding. He's, he's doing like other things and, um, having that holistic approach to your training. Um, what was it like specifically recently, like, and at the workshop I went to and you were talking about how, you know, you've had this kind of shift recently into swinging from aesthetics framework to more of like a movement lens where we're just looking at creating better movement and, what, you know, this kind of stuff, like what was that shift recently for you that kind of brought that back to light or kind of made that um, more of a... 
it's, it's honestly quite boring, I'd say. I'd say it's, it's more so um, just what I get interested in more than anything else. <laughs> like, whatever, I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, I get kind of bored um, just focusing on muscle building. Like, not even because I'm a mm-hmm. bodybuilder, but actually when you look at it from a training perspective, muscle building is very easy. Muscle mm. building, there are so many ways we can build muscle. Um, there are so many ways you can manipulate your training variables to induce a muscle building response. Um, and just about anything can give you a pretty good response, even for more advanced people. So as a direct adaptation, building muscle, whether it's an aesthetic way or just building muscle just indiscriminately, it's kind of boring. Like even building strength is a bit more interesting because it's a bit more nuanced. You've got to be really on point with your variability and your... Um, in your trainability, in your recovery, mm-hmm. in your deloading, in your load management. Whereas you can do whatever the fuck you want with load management with bodybuilding. You're going to grow muscle. You know, if you push the envelope and you really wipe yourself out one day, it doesn't matter. Just go a bit lighter the next day. You're still going to grow muscle. It's yeah. not that big a deal. As much as I love to go into the nerdy science of, oh, we should be periodizing things and thinking about rep ranges and the whole flow of the training week or microcycle, mesocycle. Honestly, for 99% of people, um, just train hard, whatever that means. And if you push your body close to a breaking point more often than not and eat enough food and sleep enough, you're going to grow tissue. Um, but strength, more interesting. Um, conditioning, more interesting. Movement is more interesting because um, these require you to take a very specific approach to get the results. Like even something like conditioning, which um, I spoke a little bit at that seminar you came to, we can... Um, we can all do like a super high intensity, hardcore interval, like 30 seconds on one minute on all that burst or whatever. And you can say, oh, you're doing cardio, you're doing conditioning. But if you just did that, you are going to miss out on certain adaptations that you would get from lower intensity stuff and vice versa. Like if at the moment I'm doing a lot of zone two low intensity cardio and that's enough for me to create some adaptation, but I know I'm missing out by not doing super high intensity intervals right now. And if I just did these lower intensity things, it's going to be great, but I'm missing some. Bodybuilding, muscle building, not so much. Strength, if you did one thing about yellow, you're going to miss out on a lot as well. And movement as well. So I look at the, those adaptations of strength, movement capacity, and conditioning as more foundational. Is You can never have too much of those things because they won't really take away from you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many ways you can manipulate those variables. Whereas muscle building, in my eyes... Maybe it's my bias as someone who's done it a lot more as a bodybuilder, but I find it a lot more boring and less interesting. So I'm like, eh, just, just lift the weights, do it to the fair. Here's some exercise variations that are cool and exciting, for sure. Some sequencing variations, that's cool and exciting. Um, but that's about it. Um, mm-hmm. And the movement side, I think, I, think it's, I think it's what people need the most. When people come to me, I realize that they know what they know. I have a pretty good idea on what they need to do to be able to train hard and build muscle muscle, even build strength, but they lack the most in their movement capacity, whether it's range of motion or it's just coordination or it's aches and pains. And like so much of it's probably been avoided just by having, being a bit smarter with exercise selection. Not even thinking yeah. about um, doing specific stretch work or range work, but when you audit someone's program and you realize that they've been having these humongous gaps where you're training your shoulders but you're never getting into this full shoulder flex position or shoulder extended position. So you're going to grow big delts. You're going to get strong delts. You're going to get strong shoulders. But if you're never doing that end range challenge, are you ever going to get to a point where you're going to at least maintain your mobility, if not improve it? Probably not. And that's where something works today, but 
three, six months later, six years later, it's a very different story. Yeah, that's a cool perspective. And that's just it too, right? Is like people complicate and always separate that strength quality and and range challenge, as you say, quality or flexibility improvement. It's like, well, they, they coexist and they're happening if you just kind of organize your training in such a way where the exercise selection complements that in your movement. Mm. And then uh, learn to actually understand your movement. And that's, yeah, a lot of people can go to a gym and start exercising, but have no idea how to move their scaps, no idea how to move their pelvis. And, and that's kind of like the lowest hanging fruit for them in terms of like feeling better. It's like learn how to move those parts yeah. of your body a little better rather than maybe blasting the biceps really hard for an hour or whatever. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> that's a cool perspective. Thanks. Uh, your, uh, relationship and collaboration with, uh, the late John Meadows was like a mm. big highlight and like, I was, you know, part of those earlier years of following you was like a, something that was, um, kind of seeing kind of highlighted and, and such, and it was, it was cool to watch. And, um, for those of you that don't know John Meadows, uh, just pioneer in the industry, like uh, a legend passed away last year, um, kind of brought forward the mountain dog, uh, approach to training, um, was an outside of the box thinker as well. When it came to training, like if you followed his work and were really into it, it was, it was different. Um, like how did that like all kind of happen for you? Like, did you guys meet online in person? Like, did yeah. he reach out to you? Like, it was, um, it was, this is back in 2014. Um, I, um, I've been following his work on T Nation and I was a member of the website back then as well. Um, and I just loved, again, like as you mentioned, he's a bit unorthodox, uh, a bit unconventional. Like he was someone who was really thinking man's bodybuilder. He was trying to um, do things differently, not just for the sake of being different, but because he had these problems he had to solve. It's like, why can't I grow my back? Or why can't I, why am I having pain here? Why can't I do this exercise? Or maybe I am injured. Why can't I, how can I work around this injury? He's always trying to find a way because he just loved what he was doing so much. He wanted to keep doing it better and better. Um, so I love that. And I, um, I just, I randomly emailed him. So the way that it worked was, um, he posted a video with Tom Platts where he went out to go see Tom Platts and Tom Platts put him through his isotension stuff. Um, and it's like, Oh, Tom Platts is a thing. He's still around. I, cause prior, prior to that video, um, Tom Platts wasn't really doing much in the industry anymore. He's sort of like, you know, he had his day and he was sort of just like, kind of out, out of the industry in terms of the mainstream. Like you could find him doing stuff if you, if you really looked, um, but he wasn't really actively putting himself out there the way that he might be now, for example. Um, so when I was on Pop, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. So I actually, um, I brought Tom Platts out to Australia. So, cause once I saw that, immediately I was like, Tom Platts' thing. I emailed Tom, I said, Tom, would you like to come out to Australia um, and, and run an event and do a workshop? I'll be able to, I'll take care of all the management of it all. And for me, I was, I was just like, I want to be able to bring Tom because I want to train with him. You know, I want that experience. <laughs> so in my eyes, John was a hero of mine. And if John was able to train with Tom Platts, I wanted to train with Tom Platts. Also mm -hmm. for me personally, as, as a bodybuilder, 
out of all the different bodybuilders you could look up to, I thought Tom Platz was up there. Like I liked, I loved him more than Arnie. Yeah. I loved him more than Franco Colombo, any of those guys. Because I thought here is a guy who is again a bit different, but who has this love, another level of intensity and a different mentality around training that was very cool and unique. So I wanted that. So I brought him out, and we had we had this event and trained with him a little bit. And I was like, this is actually a lot of fun. This is really cool. I love this as a thing. So who can I bring out next? And then of course. John was the next to my mind, like, I've got to bring out John. Um, so I, I emailed him and said, hey, would you like to come out to Australia? And again, same thing. I was honestly surprised. Like, to have these two big names, Tom Platt's one year and the next year was John just both saying, yeah, sure, I'll come out to Australia. And I was like, <laughs> really? This is, this is, you know who I am? I'm, I'm nobody. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm nobody. Like, I'm, I was like 20, 23 or so at the time, had no idea what I was doing. I was sent a random email out and I was like, wow, that actually these guys are happy to do it. Like, for John, it was his first time out of the States. Like, and wow. I was like, that's, that's a big deal. You're putting a lot of trust in me to organize yeah. everything. I remember um, a couple of years after that point, um, he was he was telling me about how it all happened. And he was like, you know, I, I was, I said yes. And I wasn't really sure if it was going to happen. I thought, oh, I hear, I hear a lot about these deals. Um, so I said, I'll just, you know, I'm not going to say no, but I'll just, I'm going to expect it to not happen. Um, but then you paid me and I was like, shit. <laughs> he, was just, he was like, I guess I'm going to Australia now. I got really caught him off guard. Where he, yeah. I guess he'd been, you know, as, as you, um, you'd probably know, a lot of people in the industry make a lot of promises. Like, oh, we'll bring mm -hmm. you out, we'll do this, it'll be awesome, it'll be amazing. And then it's a lot of talk. No one really follows through. So for him to hear this kind of thing from me, he was like, yeah, it's just, it's just all talk. But then when I actually just sent, just sent him the payment up front, he was like, oh, fuck. Okay, I guess <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is really happening. Um, and that was it. So yeah, he came out, he ran, a, he ran an event, and you know, for me, it was just a, a really awesome experience to be able to have him out here and meet the guy, just spend time with him. And that's how it started. From there, a couple of years later, I said, do you want to do it again? Come on out. For him, it's like, yeah, why not? You know, it's an easy thing for him to do, to show up and work for a couple of days and get paid a good amount. Um, and by that point, because of that first seminar with him, that sort of opened up doors for me. People realized, oh, here, who is this guy, Eugene? Because no one had no idea who I was. Mm -hmm. um, but it got, it got some eyes on me. And then when I was already doing what I was doing, people realized, oh, he's actually not just some random promoter. He's actually doing a lot of training stuff. He's quite interesting himself. So I'd had a bit of a name for myself by the time John came out the second time, where a lot of the class in that seminar, they weren't just asking John questions. They were there for me asking me for advice so um after that point john was like look do you want to start doing stuff formally together where we have these events where it's not just me it's actually you and me because we're both at a point in our industry standing and our um and what we can teach where people want to come to us for different things let's do it together we get on while well, we teach well together and um yeah we started doing we had quite a few events on around the states and around um the uk um, right before the pandemic, we were planned to go to um, Milan in Italy, right when the pandemic exploded right in Milan. And we were like, oh, okay, I right. guess, guess we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wild, man. Um, what are, like, I didn't know you had plots out either before that. That's No, no, no one does, because te technically um, I can't share any footage from it, which is really annoying. Um, he's, oh, he's, yeah. he, he's put a, um, what do you call it? 
a cease and desist or something like that. Um, <laughs> he asked me to not share things, which is a humongous shame. Um, yeah. I'm happy to talk about the story of that. Um, like I brought him out and um, <laughs> we did a strange training together. We filmed the training session. Uh, like this is a problem outside of the actual workshop. We filmed mm. the workout and it was awesome. It was like leg day. Like he absolutely murdered me on squats, hack squats, leg kills, calves. It was an awesome session. And um, I was like, I want to share this. So I, I posted a snippet of him with me on squats, like a, a 15, because again, Instagram back then, 15 second videos. I posted a 15 second clip because I went like, this is really cool. And he got really upset. He was like, you can't share this stuff. Like, are you selling this? I'm like, I'm not selling this. I'm just, this is cool content. I just want to just show people because I'm really excited about it. And if anything, it's going to um, get people interested in, in you as as a person because I know at that point um, after that event that I ran and publicizing it he started doing a lot more touring people started realizing mm. like oh he's you know doing events and teaching um, and I was like this is a really good marketing thing for you like, I don't want to sell shit I don't care about this stuff but he got offended because I wasn't able to get the footage over to him to review which right. was just a logistics thing where we had you know several gigabytes of data back then is hard to send online. Mm. We didn't have the capacity to have now of Dropbox or Google Drives or cloud storage. It wasn't an easy thing to be able to send data of that size um, internationally very quickly, to my knowledge anyway, of my videographer guy. So he didn't send it straight away. And he got really upset. He's like, no, nope, just don't send anything. You can't share anything. Just delete, destroy it all. Um, I was like, that's a shame, you know, because he's a guy I looked up to. Yeah. He's a guy I spent a lot of good time with. Um, and it, just, it ended really sourly. Um, and I, you know, out of respect, I'm like, I'm not going to share anything. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. honor his requests because it's fair enough. Whether I think it's just or not, so you know what, it's to each their own. Um, yeah, it's a shame. No, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. But yeah, it's also, yeah, that was a different time, right? Like you start mm. sharing things like that and it's, yeah, there's, it's pretty hard to have those things in place nowadays. Like it's everyone's sharing everything all the time. So it's for sure kind sure. of a thing but yeah. yeah that's a different yeah. different thing um like what are probably some of like the biggest lessons you learned from john during that time like you guys probably got pretty close and yeah um to be honest like people think there's a lot of training nuggets or whatever um all the training stuff that he teach that he has taught me or that i've learned um you can find it very easily on on his youtube you know like it's um, and none of us, honestly, even especially in this day and age, it's not as revolutionary anymore where he'd be doing things like, like the pre-pump before doing a heavy exercise, doing leg curls before squats, that kind of stuff. That's cool. Um, doing very high rep sets, like 50, 50, 60 or 70 rep sets, some of the different exercise techniques he might use. They're all really cool and exciting things. Um, but those kinds of things you see around a lot, like a lot of coaches are sharing that kind of stuff. He was definitely very innovative and put out a lot of that well before anyone else and a lot of very unique things. Um, but when I think of the lessons I learned from him, they're not the ones. You know, I don't think of anything training or nutrition related or supplementation or anything like that as much as he was very revolutionary in that world and he still is. Like a lot of his ideas like injectable carnitine during dieting, that's still a huge thing a lot of people talk about and um, that he was the real first guy to start doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But when I think about lessons from him, it was more so about how to be as a person, you know, how to be yeah. as, a, as a coach, as a mentor to other people, um, as, as a student, I mean, just how to, how to conduct yourself where the way that I would see him leading 
and doing his actions um, and thinking about the future and content creation and how to treat other people, that was it for me. Like, um, he would talk at, at length about um, his family and, and one thing, how much they meant to him, but also the periods of time when he was like deep in the bodybuilding dieting world where he took it for granted. And he was like, I'll never do that again. You know, like he was at a point where he was like, I'm so tired from dieting and training or whatever. I just can't do basic chores around the house. Um, but his wife, Mary, she would never bar of it. She was like, I don't care. Like you chose to do this. <laughs> like you chose. So if you chose to do this, why should, why should we as your family be neglected or have to suffer because of your decisions? Yeah. And that was a big wake up call for him. Um, and him telling it to me, that was a big wake up call for me of like, yeah, shit. Like I chose this, I chose yeah. to bodybuild. I chose to do this. And at the time for me, like I was in a relationship where I, I was being the, the neglectful, absolute dick of a, of a person where I wasn't really present or, um, and I was taking things for granted. And I realized, hang on, that's not fair. Like you chose to, to do this. You chose to put yourself through dieting or bodybuilding and you should suck it up and not make other people's lives more miserable or take it out on other people. Um, yeah. and I think that happens a lot in the industry. You know, it happens so much, yeah. like even out of bodybuilding, people are just dieting for general health and they get a bit cranky. It's like, well, look, you chose to die. You chose to do this. Mm -hmm. You, you shouldn't, um, be so entitled to think that the world should now revolve around you and that yeah. people should just make concessions because you're eating a few less calories. And ever since that point, you know, like I was 2014, um, my whole mentality changed with how I conducted myself and how I presented myself throughout any hard training, dieting period or bodybuilding thing, especially. Um, now, like I still, if I'm dieting hard, like I did last year, I'll have days where I feel like shit, you know, mm -hmm. absolute shame, but like, suck it up. Like not because you're hardcore, but because this is your choice. You've chosen yeah. to do this. You can't make an excuse and take it out on other people. I can definitely ask my partner, Katrina, and say, hey, look, I'm feeling really shit today. Would you mind helping out a bit more? Or I need to have a nap or I need to just, you know, do my thing right now. Um, but at least I'll communicate it, yeah. which, was, which was another big thing from John. Back then, years ago, I'd just be like, I feel like shit. And shut up and do my own thing. And you can, you can just figure it out. You know, the world can just figure it out. My clients will figure it out. But now it's like, no, it's a simple conversation of saying, hey, like, I'm struggling right now. I need a little mm -hmm. bit of help. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a reasonable communicative back and forth between not just a partner, but anybody around you with work or friendships or family or whatever it is. Just communicate that. You know, that was the biggest yeah. thing that I got, got from John because he was so big on that. Yeah, that's a big lesson for sure. Something I think I've, you know, just kind of come around to being a father and husband, you know, in recent mm. years, like you just, yeah, you get through these certain stages of life where you're kind of like, I gotta be a little more considerate of, you know, people around me and not just like goals I have or whatever I'm doing at yeah. the time. Like you, you get really kind of goal oriented or focused on those things sometimes. And yeah, just forget about making that choice yourself. And like, you know, not everyone has to, <laughs> bow down because you chose to do something so people no, shouldn't have to suffer because of your decisions no, for sure you know? that, that's yeah. what it is especially when it's yeah. family friends when when <laughs> you have when you should have the decency to be able to communicate and say yeah. look this is what i'm going through and they can either accept it and say okay i'm going to help you out or they can call you out and say okay but it's your choice 
we shouldn't have to pick up the slack for you, which is also a yeah. fair enough thing. It's a, yeah. it's a two-way street. It's a two-way relationship sure. here. Um, and yeah. unfortunately for me back then, and for many people now, they don't see that. It's one way. It's yeah. my way. I'm the best ego. I'm going to do this. I'm the most important. I'm going to be successful, and you can just follow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is a two-way street, too. I think you can probably think about the scenario. Sometimes you've probably come into you know, certain clients sometimes that deal with the struggle of maybe not having that support either. Right. Where it's like, mm. they're always worried like about, you know, I don't want to give myself too much. It's like, yeah, it is a very hard, challenging, common ground sometimes to be like, I'm all in or I'm all out and same vice versa kind of on the other end. So it's but bodybuilding for sure. I mean, my friend, I've never competed, uh, or I've gone pretty hard on some of the diets like getting lean and stuff. Just, you know, I remember eating like lean ground beef and dry oats one time for dinner or for breakfast because it was like, you know, the, the reds in the morning, the hard fats. And anyways, mm. uh, the friends that had done that though, it was, yeah, pretty intense closer towards those times of competition and stuff. Like, yeah, a lot of drama going on and, and sacrifices being made that way. And it's, yeah, you can see how that's not very sustainable really. Right. It's, wanna, it- it's not sustainable. And I think, unfortunately, this is my outsider's perspective now, but also someone who's been there. I think a lot of it gets, um, it's glorified. It's mm. glorified in an industry to be like, I'm pushing so hard. I'm grinding. I'm hustling on my diet. I'm going to, I'm going to war. And like, no, you're going on stage in a, in a mankini, in a banana hammock. It's not really going to war. Don't say that. But they have this bravado around how hard they work. And it almost gets to a point where they make themselves suffer a lot more than they need to mentally. Mm-hmm. Like they don't necessarily diet harder or do more work, but they just, they have this persona of like, this is my identity. And the unfortunate thing is I've seen it happen to so many people where they take it too far in that mentality. Cause I think that's what you need to be, to be able to succeed. And mm-hmm. they cut off everybody around them and they lose their friends. They lose their families. They lose their relationships as a result of them thinking this is what you're meant to do. This is how you're supposed to be. This is the bodybuilding lifestyle. And if you can't have me when I'm this and going through this work, you don't deserve me at all. Um, yeah. it's, it's a big snowball effect, unfortunately. Um, that's one yeah. thing that I, that I really try to put out there more. As much as I'm not in the bodybuilding world now, is I think it's so important for people to realize that whether it's a bodybuilding show or you're just dieting or you're just training for aesthetics or wanting to look, look better for yourself, um, these are great things to be doing. Um, but we need to be mindful of the impact that it can have on others. And unfortunately, identity shifts that a lot of people take when they start yeah. really chasing aesthetics. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of why I also have started to drift away from the whole aesthetic goal. One thing, like I, I don't care as much about my own personal aesthetics the way that I used to when I was bodybuilding, but more so because I think aesthetics as a goal is very limited and very fleeting versus having a performance goal of strength mm-hmm. or getting more conditioned or improving range of motion, for example, these are more performance-based metrics where it's about the daily improvements as opposed to the outcome of, I'm going to look so good and look so shredded and be so muscular and look better than these other people in comparative kind of lens. Mm-hmm. This is this can be more an isolated performance, you against you, self-improvement process. And the bodybuilders who I see do really well in thriving, they take that performance mentality to their bodybuilding where it's yeah. very much about the daily 
work and the daily process to make those little bit of improvements. And they're tracking those things. You know, they care about the adherence to their diet. They care about the check-ins that they make with themselves or their training, their progressions um, to be able to make that progress. And that's where I think it's healthy. Yeah. And I think those that get really heavily focused on needing to make a change, like I need to lose weight or I really want to build muscle. It's like, those are outcomes with performance goals. Mm. Like it's kind of like a natural outcome. And then you, you move yourself towards something that's more meaningful in a way where it's like, you've improved your actual movement capacity or you've, you've got a new skill under your belt. And then along the way you've built muscle, you've gotten leaner or whatever had to happen along that way. And it's a little, that's kind of where my focus has always been as well as like, what's the performance outcome? What's the skill that I'm learning? So that I, I, yeah, I guess I'm just not bored because yeah. it's, yeah. it's boring exactly. after a while. Right. You, exactly. A lot of us, you know, I think a lot of us relate to that starting out trying to build muscle and stuff that kind of old school way or whatever. And you kind of get bored quick and maybe you lose complete interest in it. And it's almost like you kind of find a hard way of getting back into some kind of physical activities it's in itself. Right. But then it's that, yeah, what's the skill, what's the outcome, what's the performance objective that's really rewarding. And you can see that I think even just in the growth of things like uh, BJJ and stuff, like a lot, mm. a lot of people undertake that now is like this, Oh, I actually have something I'm training for. It's like a movement and a skill and, you know, they can relate to why they're doing certain things in their training for, you know, certain goals like that. So, um, yeah, that's a cool perspective. Totally agree. Um, segueing a little bit, uh, you, you had a recent injury. And yeah. it happened right when I met you, like when I met you, I think it yeah, just yeah, happened. Yeah, it was. Yeah, maybe a week <laughs> or two prior. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and at the time too, you were kind of like, oh man, I just had this injury. And like, I think that was, you know, the first conversation we had was like re relating to that because that's kind of a lot of how I've come to what I represent now is like overcoming a lot of those challenges I had. But mm. um, I mean, it's been cool watching you share it, just be completely open and honest to it. Right. Because we live in this kind of mass social media world where like, that's never going to happen to you. Like you're never, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> you don't know when it's going to, it could, right. Like it's just absolutely kind of life presents itself that way. But, um, how's, how's the injury been, uh, going? Yeah. It yeah. A, no, it's, pec, it's great. Little pec tear. I should say, um, yeah, pec tear. Um, and, yeah. and my, my knee jerk reaction was, I don't want to tell anyone. Yeah. I don't even know why it was, you know, like, like, it's funny you say that because when it happens, um, first of all, I, I didn't want to tell, um, Pat, the guy I was training with, and that's, that's more so because I want, I just wanted to keep training. I wanted to keep just hanging out and yeah. you know, don't want to bring the vibe down. That's kind of different. But in terms of publicly talking about it, initially my knee jerk reaction was, I can't, I can't share it. No, that's mm -hmm. not a good idea. Um, and then I, and I thought to myself, why? Why is that my knee-jerk reaction? I think it's a lot of this, the old Eugene from years ago of like, of thinking a lot about, oh, you've got a, you've got this ego associated with being resilient and never, and doing everything right all the time and never breaking down or whatever. So what will people think of you if you got injured? And then I realized well, that's kind of silly mm -hmm. because I mean, as you, you're absolutely right. Injuries can happen to anybody. And none of us, no matter how resilient we are, no matter how good our training is, no matter how on point every single variable is, um, nobody is going to be completely free from the risk of injury. Um, it's, there is just something of just 
bad luck, um, no matter how good your technique is or anything like that. So I was like, okay, well, this is actually something that I need to embrace and I want to share publicly to make sure people realize that this is something that it happens. Maybe like I know for sure I could have avoided that injury had I just not have done a novel exercise I haven't done in a while, had I not have loaded up as far as I had, um, had I set my time warming up, had I been better recovered from not traveling as much and eating more and hydrating, all that kind of stuff, um, that could have helped. Um, that's like a lesson learned because there are so many instances where I've been in that exact same scenario and I've trained and I've been fine. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, I can get away with anything. But again, this is that one that one moment. So fortunately, the pec tear itself wasn't that bad. Like the tendons remained intact. Um, so I, I always like to mention that because when I started sharing it, I got a lot of hate from people. Not a lot. I got some hate from them. There's always haters. Um, and they're like, oh, this is what happens when you use all these steroids. Your, your muscles grow too much bigger than your tendons. Your tendons can't keep up, so your tendons break. I'm like, my tendons were fine. Like my yeah. tendons were intact. <laughs> it's, 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 you got no idea what you're talking about. You just like to say mm-hmm. things just for the sake of saying things. Um, and a lot of people would, would critique a lot of like the situation. I'm like, well, you, you really can't because there's so much that plays into injuries. And especially this specific injury where it wasn't your, your typical like, oh, your tendon snapped because of an, a huge overload thing, this is probably more indicative of the poor, the lack of recovery um, mm-hmm. more than anything else. But, you know, who knows what it really is? So many things play into it. Um, but it's a good teaching point. Um, but, yeah, yeah, for me, fortunately, it was a very – it was in terms of the, the spectrum of severity of injuries, it was a pretty minor one for a tear. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I was back to move. I was back to moving within a week. Like, I could just move it around. Um, I could start loading it maybe within the, within maybe three weeks. Um, yeah. Nothing hard or heavy, and very cautious. And and now, um, it's probably eighty percent healed. Where I can push it pretty hard. Like, I can push to pretty close to failure on all my movements, um, mm-hmm. and it will feel a little bit strange. Um, and I'm I'm a bit more cautious of it. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. Like, it's still got a bit way to go. There's still a little bit of scarring or hematoma there that I can see and notice and feel. Um, but it's pretty much back to normal, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And it was cool that you shared not only that it happened, but I'm going to train through this. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's, you know, first thing someone gets a, a strain or, or anything like that, they're like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. I'll have to wait until this, you know, completely heals and I'll just like sit in my house until that happens or whatever. It's like, no, there's like so many things you can do. Yeah. <laughs> so many yeah, options. For sure. Um, like what were some of the major ones that you found or even just some of the steps that you kind of took to start retraining that? Like, obviously that's where I think a lot of people struggle too, is like, if you're into, you know, some traditional muscle building kind of training and all of a sudden that happens, you're like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't, Yeah. I can't uh, do what I like to do. And like, what were some of the approaches you found most useful for yeah that situation that's that's a really good point to bring up is um a lot of people they get injured um and it completely derails them maybe not even injury but it could be something like maybe you go on holiday you go traveling and you're mm. like can't train because the reality is most people when they go to the gym they just know the method of lap pull down barbell row deadlift squat mm. leg press these are my tools this is what i do i do it for eight reps go home, go heavier next week, that's it. They know the one method, but they don't know the concept that this is all built upon. 
Yeah. And the concept is like we're trying to progressively overload our body and provide with more stress so it changes. That's it, which is very simple when you say it out like that. But a lot of people miss the forest for the trees. They're focusing on the minutiae of the best lat exercise or the best exercise to improve your splits or whatever it is. And they don't realize the continuum that this all sits on of trying to progressively overload and gradually expose your body. Like the rehab world talks a lot about graded exposures for injury and for pain, which is honestly just a, a slightly more scientific way of saying progressive overload, which is just a basic, basic principle that all training is built upon. So um, when it comes to being injured, I just say, okay, my load capacity has gone way down. I've gone right back to even well before a beginner. Like I'm, I'm like a baby. I'm like a 99-year-old geriatric patient. They've lifted a weight in their entire life. This is where I'm at now. Benjamin so Button. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've gone the ben, I'm, I'm Benjamin Button things in, in, my, in my left pec. So it didn't cross my mind once. I've been like, oh, I can't bench press. Now I can't do anything which is what a lot of people would think of because they know the method of to train chest, you've got to bench press. If you can't do that, you're done. You just got to just lay off until you can hopefully bench press again and in a few months time. Um, mm -hmm. Or they try to search for the secret answer of, hey, what's the best exercise I can do to fix my lower back pain? Or I just herniated yeah. on my disc, it's healed now. How do I get back into deadlifting again? I'm going to deadlift. It's like, you can do that. Um, but maybe even prior to that, yeah, ask yourself, you're in the Benjamin Button, you're a complete baby again, or you're a complete old man again. Your, load, your loading capacity, your tolerance is, is down in the gutter. What is the first step you could take? Um, and then, okay, so what's the most complex thing? What's the hardest thing to do? The absolute hardest thing from a pack might be something like, a, um, like throwing a punch or throwing a ball, honestly, or it could be like doing a shot put, very explosive, heavy, power-based movements. But what's the complete opposite of that? What's the complete opposite of a very fast, full range movement? It'd be a super slow, small range, or even minimal movements, which then brings you back to saying, oh, that sounds like an isometric static contraction. So this is why, like, this is why I like to teach the way that I teach. Like, I don't want to tell somebody, when you post-injury, do isometrics. I think that's helpful for some, but then they memorize the method of, oh, it must always be a static isometric contraction to fix my injury. It's like, well, that's mm -hmm. not what I'm trying to teach you here. I'm trying to teach you that you want to pick whatever the lowest grade exposure is, the minimal thing that's going to be a little bit above your capacity because you're so injured and so whatever it is downhill right now. What's the tiniest thing you can do to make yourself a little bit more in terms of your tolerance? Um, and that's where you say, okay, if I did something super slow, super small range of motion, super lightweight, well, isometric is just like very small range, just holding it, so it's super slow, or maybe even no range of motion, and there's no weight. Is that too easy? Great, make it a little bit more range of motion, make it a little bit more loaded. And that's how I built up that um, build up from there. Um, so if we can bring it back to that principle or the concept of progressive overload and your loading capacity is super low because you just rip something completely, um, yeah. it's, it's a bit more accessible for people. And they don't feel lost. They don't feel like, oh, it's got to lay off for a while and hope that it heals and fixes back on its own. Um, because what we do know when it comes to injury and rehab is, yeah, motion is the lotion. The more that you can yeah. move, um, it's going to provide some analgesic benefits, um, pain-relieving benefits, but it's also 
going to help with the restorative benefits in terms of increasing the production of these different chemicals, cytokines, and help the, he- the healing process. So you want to move as much as possible. Um, yeah. People get people kind of get stuck. Yeah, yeah, stuck in the was uh, Greg Lehman. We had I had him on for a podcast. Mm. He's a Canadian uh, physiotherapist, and he's studies like a lot of the pain science. He talks about this biographical suspension. This people get kind of stuck in this. I'm never going to do anything until I'm completely pain free. Mm. It's like you just kind of get in this like you know you're in the suspended feeling like I can't do that. I can't do this. And when is it time you know like for these people to s- stop searching for the the you know bulletproof or pain free yeah. freedom kind of uh, magic solution that they're looking for and just say, we got to start slowly throwing the ball again. Right. Like exactly. That's that's exactly it. Like sharing that story. Yeah. It's, you know, it's education and, um, we need to have more of these conversations. Like I'm very passionate about sharing that information because I think, um, it's, it's so important because had had I not known that there would have been a very different experience being injured. You know, like I've been, I've had a few injuries, like a couple of years ago when I was on tour, I was in Germany. And this is the middle of my tour. It's a similar kind of thing, but this is the this is the middle of a of an eight month tour, not like a four week. This is a big deal, and I did something pretty fucked up to my neck. I don't know what exactly. Um, I just remember, like you know, you can feel like you, you can feel your C five, C six, the back of the neck there. After I did whatever I did, I couldn't feel it. I was like, that that's not good. Like you can't. Mm. I've, I've lost my bone, <laughs> my neck. Um, um, but I, I realized I jarred my neck really badly when it happened because I was throwing dumbbells up to an overhead press and I was laying back on an upright bench and I was just still up a little bit too upright. So I just sort of all that force went through my neck in a really bad way. Um, and I said, yeah, this is bad. This is actually a really big deal. I said to my partner at the time, I said, we have about three hours to get as much done as we can in terms of like whatever needs to get done for the touring stuff because I'm going to be pretty much paralyzed in about three hours when the inflammation dies down and my body realizes what's happened. And that was the reality where for about a week after I couldn't move, like she had to help undress me and like, I couldn't bring my arm and turn my head. She had to roll me over in bed, that kind of thing. Um, it was fucked. Um, (laughs) it was completely fucked. And even by that point, I knew a lot about pain. I knew a lot about injury. So I said, you know what? Even if it is a big deal, chances are, because it's the first time I've experienced anything here, my brain is projecting a lot more. It's making, yeah. it, it's making it feel a lot worse than it is. It's creating a lot more of those spasms and muscular tensions, um, just as an extra safety net thing, more than mm-hmm. the fact that they've actually done any damage. So I said, that's the reality though. So unfortunately, I've just got to let my body and my brain relax. And I've got to teach my brain that it's okay to move again and that you haven't done any damage. And even if, even if you have done damage, I also fortunately knew that. Let's say I herniated every single disc in my neck. Is that actually going to be indicative of me? Well, is that actually going to then mean I can't move and I can't perform? Not necessarily. Because again, what we know from literature is there are many people out there who have these herniations or bone-on-bone or structural issues, but they don't have any symptoms of pain or issues whatsoever. So even if the direct trauma that I did in the gym created all those herniations, and we can say, oh, this is a bad thing for you that needs to be healed, should that necessarily limit your ability to move and perform day-to-day functions? Not necessarily. Um, 
I definitely wouldn't want you to be knowing that you've got these herniations and loading up more and more and more. There is a duty yeah. of care there. Yeah, but it's also about sure. saying, is that actually limits? No, it actually isn't. You should be mindful of your technique and how you train, knowing that you've got these things going on. Maybe, maybe, mm -hmm. but they're going to heal. And even if yeah. you don't heal, it's a natural degeneration that happens over time part of the aging process. It's just like wrinkles. You know, it's going to happen. It's not a bad thing. You could not like looking at it if you like, but it doesn't mean that you should be limited in any way. So for me, having that knowledge, that empowered me to be like, I'm in pain right now. I can't move right now. I, I can't see the end to this right now because of how bad things are. But I also know that even if I've done a lot of damage, it's not a life sentence. And even if I'm yeah. in a lot of pain right now, it's not indicative of all the tissue damage that may or may not be there. So I should be taking it upon myself to be as active as possible and try to seek a way to calm down my nervous system. And it will calm yeah. down as much as it can, as long as I keep it within its little limits. And that's yeah. the same thing. The same way I healed, but the same way I came back from that was doing little neck isometrics, pushing into my mm. hand, pushing into my hand, pushing forwards, pushing back, literally moving a couple of millimeters at a time because that's all I could handle. And then doing hours of that within about a week, I could then go back to some kind of motion. I wasn't confident enough to train, but I could actually go through my day-to-day -day life and like do things. And then you know, I don't think about it at all anymore. Um, yeah. But it's definitely scary. And now on the other yeah. extreme, one of my... Um, ex-girlfriends, she had a lower back thing happening years ago, and um, she was told by her doctor, you've got a slip disc. And, and her doctor told her, oh, your brother has the same thing, your father has the same thing, it's, it's, it's a family thing, you guys need surgery to like, whatever. I can't even think, I can't remember what it was, but she was told it runs in the family, it's a congenital thing, it's a slip disc, you're pinching the nerve, all that kind of stuff. Um, and she had had a, a specific trauma from deadlifting where she had a lot of pain. But as I've just explained, like with my pain in my neck as well, it could be the exact same thing where it feels a lot worse than it actually is. But she had a very different outcome from that where several years later, she still experiences pain, which is a lot of what Greg would talk about, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and she was super cautious and guarded in her behavior. She would experience a very real pain when she would be doing the most mundane task, like bending over tire shoelaces. It just, oh, I can't do it anymore. Like, oh, I just pinched that nerve. I'm done. Yeah. Out of nowhere, I was like, you're 30 years old. What does the future look like for you? What does 50 years old look like for you? What is, what is your quality of life? What is your overall confidence, your esteem, your happiness? Everything, what does that look like? Because of what these well-intentioned practitioners have told you about things running in your family and breaking your spine or whatever else it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's unfortunate. So like, that's why I'm so big. I teach, I talk a lot about pain science and rehab, not because it's my wheelhouse, but because I think it's such an important message that we should all have a good understanding on yeah. of pain is inevitable. We can try to mitigate it. Definitely don't, try, don't do a one rep Max Jefferson curl if you've never done it before. You know, work into it, like if you want to. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's like we we need to um, respect that pain and tension is it's a part of everyday life, and we need to learn how to accept it, and embrace it, and learn from it, and work with it, as opposed to let it own us, which is the unfortunate reality for many people, especially in our in our field of health yeah. and fitness. Yeah, for sure. 
And I mean, I can even just kind of maybe thinking about you when you hurt your neck too, right? It's like maybe even just the fear of not being able to do the things that you like doing too, right? And that's, yeah, you know, the, at the time when you're bodybuilding and things like that, it's like, well, what am I going to do? Like, that's what I'm doing right now. And like, I, I've, I experienced a lot of that. And that's, I think, where I struggled the most with my injury when I was powerlifting was like, that was my complete identity. Like, that's what I was doing. I was powerlifting. Mm. Like, I, that's what I do when I train and this and that and all this. And I got stuck in that kind of suspension where it was like, I don't want to do nothing anymore. And it wasn't because I felt like I couldn't rehab it and go back. And yeah, it was like I couldn't powerlift or I couldn't, you know, and then it was, you know, finding that way to realize what all those other options were or you know that you weren't just tied down to be, being that one thing and exploring and you know realizing there were so many other things and that's i think where a lot of people get stuck too is like yeah, you're doing that one thing and then <laughs> you can't do that thing anymore uh-huh. so it's yeah trying to find that new identity or maybe not just like realizing that you're not just tied down to that yeah for sure i think for me personally i'm i'm kind of lucky where when I was bodybuilding, that was my identity. But even then, I um, I never fully went all into it the way I see a lot of people doing. And I think it's more based on my personality, where I'm just interested by a lot of things. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious about yoga or gymnastics or the stretching side. Or I'm curious about powerlifting, not just bodybuilding. Um, and it's hard for me personally to go all in on just one thing and just drive that. Um, so that has its benefits and drawbacks because I'll mm. never go super hardcore all in. I'll never be exceptional at one of those things. You know, like I'm never going to be in a little powerlift or a bodybuilder or anything like that because I'm not going to do everything that it takes to get to those levels. But when life happens of business, of relationships, of injuries, of whatever, I can very happily pivot. And I'll still yeah. be like, oh, I miss bench pressing or, oh, I wish I could look this way or do this thing or, or I think of the what ifs of, hey, what if I did, didn't did have this issue or I could commit to powerlifting or whatever it is, what would I then be able to do? Um, mm. But for whatever reason, I don't get too attached to that. And I'm like, that's okay because I can do this instead. Now, at the end yeah. of the day, um, I would be perfectly happy never training again. <laughs> if I didn't have to train, like, I was just happy. If for whatever reason I could like be just as healthy and feel just as good without training, doing any exercise at all, I'd probably happily just do that. Like someone asked me the other day, would you rather never go to the gym again or never play guitar again? I said, man, if I could never play guitar or play music again, I'd be so fucking depressed. Mm. I would be so depressed, and I, I would have a loss of identity at that point. But yeah. if you took away the gym training from me, I'd be like, that's fine. That's fine. Like, of course, mm-hmm. I don't want to stop training. I do enjoy it. Um, <laughs> but in terms of the scheme of like, how much I identify as someone who lifts all the time, like, no, like, there are other interests that appeal to me. So when it gets taken yeah. away or life happens, I'm like, I, I can pivot. I can move on to something else and come back to it if I, if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to have that diversity and yeah, just know there's not one way approach to it, but it's just like even having those other activities in your life too. And I think maybe, yeah, that's, I mean, the physical activity side to it. Like I play guitar as well. And mm. that kind of side to activity is not really recognized for people in terms of health. And that is a healthy outlet. Like that is like, sure. you know, learning a new skill, developing, um, you know, whatever that skill is, it, that's, 
something that's physical and active and, you know, gardening, things like that. Like it really kind of goes down to like how well you want to be living your life and not tying yourself down to this like one thing. Um, and I mean, that's a good segue into this topic here, how we really connected this year was through the old time strongman stuff. Like, yeah, I feel like that was when I was like, I got Eugene's attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It was, um, I'm pretty sure it was, that wrist extensor thing. Maybe okay. it was that, or maybe it was something else. I can't remember. I, I, I'm pretty sure I commented on it saying I'm stealing this because, yeah. because yeah, I'm, whatever it was, I'm, it was one of that, or maybe it was one of the other, you had, you had a couple of old times from together. Like that's quite interesting. It was very impressive. Maybe it was a windmill or something like that. I definitely remember there was one where it was um, the closed fist face on the ground extension to stretch out the extents. And I thought, that is so fucking genius. It's such a simple that thing. Is, um, and I was yeah. like, that is something I, I do that to this day. I actually filmed yeah. a video just last week on arm training where I use that exercise as like a bit of an active rest period for the mm-hmm. extensors. I use it a ton in handstand work. I use it a ton in, um, in guitar playing as well. It helps to just relax the muscles yeah. a little bit more after yeah. hours of practice. Um, cause I, that was, yeah. yeah, that was, a, that was a cool exercise. I, that was when I got into yoga, mm. um, like trying to figure out the flexibility stuff, but interested in just like doing yoga and stuff. But the teacher had shown us that and mm-hmm. she was talking about how, you know, you should, you should be able to fully straighten your elbows. Yeah. And I couldn't for the life of me get my elbows yeah. to even come to fully. I was like, holy shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still do that one a lot too. Like it's, it definitely, um, it's just one of those easy kind of win kind of approaches to the wrist. Uh, but the old school stuff, like the hack lift was one mm. that we got into. At yeah. Yeah. Seminar. That's right. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you for letting me get up and, and do that kind of show a little bit about that. But, uh, you do have that influence, like you were saying at the start of the episode, like, um, getting into, uh, Vince Deronda's work and, mm. uh, Bill Pearl and stuff like that. Like as you start to look at these kind of methods and, have you thought about looking further back? Like, as I, I have been recently, like to, you know, those even older areas. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen you go way back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm surprised there's documentation of half of this stuff, to be honest. Um, one of my favorite resources when I was really into nerding out and I'd just spend hours reading articles and writing down ideas was, um, what was that? Who was that blogger? You'd know it, um, the tight tan slacks of oh yeah, yeah. Dezo Ban or Anthony Dutello. He'd have all yeah. those articles, the old archives. Um, so I love reading all of that, like John Grimmick and, and all those kinds of guys and all the different ideas they had. Um, a lot of the workouts, the programs that I used to write that I even have now, like a lot of the exercises and loading um, volume and loading variables, they come from a lot of those um, old and golden era or silver era um training training methods which is really cool um recently i I honestly i I haven't gone through it a lot i I would love to like whenever i see you posting up um snippets from pages of books i'm like i wonder what book that is i wonder wonder what he's reading um i fear that if i get into it it's going to appeal to my like oh novelty again and it's going to pull me right down that rabbit hole which could be cool as well to be honest but i mean where do you get all these resources from like do you have a lot of books that you've got to go to? Do you still go online for a lot of this stuff? 
Yeah, uh, strongman archaeology was mm. kind of like the James Fuller. He was the big resource and mentor that really kind of brought me into the depth of it. Um, so he's on, I met him on Instagram, actually I found him on YouTube right? because I was trying to look at the reverse swing, the Kelly snatch, like yeah, I was kind of figuring, starting to look at this stuff a bit more and all of a sudden his YouTube account, uh, came up and man, it's just like a library of so many old lifts. And then I found mm. him on Instagram. And so I mentored with him for over a year. And that was like pretty hardcore. Like we just did old time strongman stuff. Like, right. Was that in person you mentored with him? Were you just like through just some programming? Online. Okay. Just, we, yeah, we were doing work online. It was just like no squat rack, no yeah. bench. Like we were just loading the barbell ourselves. And so it was cool. Like I definitely, it was, and I still apply a lot of that stuff too, but mm. coming back through that lens of like, how can some of this stuff work? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like, I mean, the hard part, yeah. like it's, it looks cool. I mean, you, I guess our minds are like, how do we work this into yeah. maybe more of our specific goals for people of maybe range of motion or for strength, performance, muscle building? Because honestly, a lot of it fits. A lot yeah. of it fits incredibly well. Um, and a lot of it may be like very optimal choices for the goals mm -hmm. of strength, muscle building or whatever it is, not just for a random circus trick. Um, the Kelly snatch, that's the one where you end up in a bent over position with the arms pointing vertically. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's fucked. That's. I feel like, <laughs> like I know this is like kind of like the, the the token thing to say, but I genuinely feel like if I tried that, I would dislocate both my shoulders and rip both my pecs at the same time. It's yeah. it's so impressive. But it's like I would love to get to that point of like that resiliency. It's, it's a weird one in that like when you do do it, it's that's not going to happen. It's like one of those realizations, <laughs> like oh, I'm not going to blow my arms out. But I was at the time too, like, and one of the reasons even that kind of started coming as like a thought is like, you know, you, you're saying you're doing some of the gymnastic body stuff. And mm. I was, I was doing some of this folded pike shoulder extension, like just slow and yeah. controlled. Yeah. And then, and then you see a Kelly snatching like, oh, that's just that movement done more explosively. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. That's so then right. you start putting pieces together and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is a little more depth to it. Yeah. But yeah, the, the reverse swing. Uh, that was never really used, I think, as a max lift. Like uh -huh. the USAWA uses it. Like I think most of the guys back then just kind of used it as a little opener, just swinging back yeah. a little bit to get the shoulders yeah. opened up. And then, of course, you can take it to the extremes. But um, no, that's cool. Like as uh, when we connected uh, as the hack lift stuff, yeah. we started doing that together. I was like, oh, cool. I'm connecting with Eugene. So. <laughs> like honestly, uh, I think what you do with. Um with popularizing a lot of these old time lifts, I think it's so important because especially in this day and age where people are so black and white with technique, this is good, this is bad, behind neck press is going to explode your shoulders and give you rabies in your AC joint or something like that. You know, it's people freak out. And I mean, for one thing, there is the whole movement optimism, which should just be embracing people exercising, not demonizing exercise at all. And I think that's, that's one thing, but I think, there'd be a whole lot less arguing and a whole lot less confusion if people looked back historically um, mm -hmm. at what weightlifting came from in terms of physical culture, like what was mm -hmm. really possible. Um, but even if they, they look at things like gymnastics, you know, like a lot of the unorthodox exercises that people freak out at, like the Kelly Snatch, for example, if they had some kind of background knowledge in um, gymnastics, or martial arts or any of yeah. these kinds of more um, movement-based things, they'd be like, oh, that's fine. 
yeah, like yeah. it's it's different doing it with a barbell than with body weights, but I can see how that works. I can see how that's yeah. not going to destroy you completely. Um, but because the people don't have that kind of context or knowledge or awareness, they see something like Kelly Snatch and they, they think, that's wrong. They see something like a rounded back and they think, that's wrong. They see a hack lift and they think, that's, that's crazy. Um, so I think the first step to that is bringing awareness to these movements. So like, hey, this is a Kelly Snatch. This is a hack lift. This is a rounded back lift. This is, this is a, a Zercher deadlift, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just some weird exercises that some of them um, may lose a little bit of practicality. Like I, um, I saw the one that always boggled my mind was the, um, the barbell leg press. <laughs> on, on your back, you're pressing. Like you see, I've always seen the photos of it. I've never seen somebody set it up until I saw um, Atlas Power Shrug do it yeah. the other day. Where he, so you bench press it up, and then you put your legs like in a child's pose for yoga, and then you press from there. And I thought that's so impressive. I would never <laughs> ever want to do that. That the there is something to be said about cost to benefit ratio at that point yeah. i think as, as much as yeah. i don't want to i don't like saying that for exercise i think you know what yeah <laughs> i'll just leg press instead but i can yeah. understand why you might want to do that yeah. um, but i think it's cool so it's, it's a fun to one to do from out. it's a fun one to do from the squat rack too um even some of the, like the chinese weightlifting teams still do that one quite regularly really rack it up in the pins and you just get down and slam it right and, oh so um, you just press it up and let it drop back down reset the yeah. feet yeah for yeah. sure for sure yeah and yeah james had me doing that one as well i did work up to 300 pounds for reps but and you feel like when you get it going you do feel like you could do 100 reps with 300 pounds but it is intimidating um for sure how do you balance but it it's actually a bit more of a four foot balance which is kind of weird Interesting. And that's the thing is like when he was coaching me on that, it was like all these technical cues. And I was like, this is psycho yeah. like, I'm doing this, and, <laughs> but decompression of the low back and the groin, like afterwards, I was like, wow, I've never felt something like that before. Like yeah. after I'd, I'd finished it and that's what he kept referring it to as he's like, we're going to really decompress the back and get the groin open up. And like after I was done, I was like, wow, I just felt like I got like adjusted or something. So what's going on. So when you're doing this, um, are you going to a point where you get that butt wink, where you, where you do want your back curving off and that kind yeah. of like range? Right. Okay. So that, that's yeah. where the decompression would then come from. How interesting. Yeah. I assume yeah, it would just cool be one. done like a regular leg press where you want to keep your back as fixed as possible and go to that kind of range of motion. That's why uh-huh. I've never really liked the vertical leg press machine because mm-hmm. it forces you into a tiny range of motion because you're trying to keep everything in contact and keep it all tight on the, on the back pad. Um, Whereas this is the action where you actually want to pretty much fold yourself up as much as possible. <laughs> ah, how interesting. Cool. <laughs> I'm not going to try well, Maybe when you come here, we'll try it. I'll, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll let you teach it to me. That can be one of our videos. We'll start in the squat rack and yeah. we'll slowly there. <laughs> uh, I wanted to just kind of touch on nutrition because, you know, I, I couldn't have you on with it, mentioning it because it is a, you are a big nutrition guy and I should be as well too, but I, I'll, openly admitted I'm like lazy in terms of like, I'm kind of just eat my protein, eat my carbs, like eat my macros. Like I don't, I don't share my nutrition very much either because of how boring it is. Like just dumping eggs in a bowl and just, you know, it's like, um, but I do appreciate like the work that you put into it and stuff. And it'd be cool to hear a few bits of perspectives in terms of like how you see people 
thinking about nutrition, like, do you feel like people overcomplicate it? Um, do you think mm. like when it comes to losing weight or muscle building, or do you think it's like something that should be more complex than it's treated or? Yeah. Um, oh, good question. It's a big one. I mean, couple of couple of first preliminary thoughts is I ate two packets of chips yesterday and I, I ate two meals outside of that. Like I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not perfect. Like I yeah. used to be completely meticulous, again, bodybuilding, but I, I feel like I've used up my lifetime supply of willpower. Um, when it comes mm -hmm. to nutrition. So um, now I need to rely on systems to be able to adhere to things in terms of mm. having meals prepped or um, ease. I, I eat out almost every day. I'll eat out one meal um, just for convenience. Like probably today, mm. um, after this, I'm going to go eat out for lunch. I'm going to go down the road and get some noodles um, just to get some calories in. Um, I think there's so many conversations that need to be had around nutrition. And unfortunately, what I see is a lot of people who have conversations around nutrition, um, they're speaking in maybe complex terms or they're speaking in the wrong terms for that the audience needs to hear. Mm -hmm. For example, if I did a, a post um, around some of the uh, calorie intake, thermodynamics and um, macronutrient ratios, all that kind of stuff, who's that really going to appeal to? That's going to appeal and get a lot of traction from a lot of professionals. They're going to be like, yeah, you're preaching like this, you're preaching against the low-carb zealots, so you're saying how important calorie balance is, preach that, awesome. Mm. Um, but then you think that who actually needs to hear that message? It's the layperson, it's the gen pop, it's, it's the mum and dad who have never really trained their entire life. And they hear words like calories and macronutrients and all these different ratios, having to use a calculator to track things and meal prep. And none of that is relevant. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing for me as a health professional to talk about how I meal prep and how I systemize my time and my life to be able to get my meals and get enough protein in. I go 0.82 grams of protein per pound of body waste, all that kind of stuff. And all that stuff is great for the nerds for you and me. We're going to love that. We're going to really be excited by that and just like, yeah, double tap that shit and share it around. Mm. But how helpful is that really for the people who need it, the gen pop? Um, not very. And then um, if you think about the call-out culture, where a lot of people, a lot of big accounts, love to find the misinformation that's being spread about like, hey, the the bulletproof coffee is going to help you lose more fat, all that kind of bullshit. And mm. they tear down these people. Again, same thing. Who is this information going to really appeal to? It's going to appeal to you and me, the professionals who have some knowledge already, who don't need to hear this information. Yeah. We enjoy it for entertainment, but it's not going to make a big difference in terms of how we go about doing things. But for the people who need the assistance and the knowledge around nutrition, it's not going to help them. It's going to create more confusion because they'd be like, well, hang on. Like, Lane Norton says this. Alan Aragon says this. Brad Schoenfeld says this. But then the keto guy says this. This doctor says this. Eugene says this. Or whatever else it is. Dave Asprey and his fucking bullshit stuff says this. <laughs> um, it's confusing. And I empathize with that. I'm like, oh, that is so challenging. Like, I think, how mm. do I explain this to my mum when she hears from Dr. Roz on TV or whatever? How do I tell her about evidence-based practices and whatnot? 
when the evidence-based crowd is just tearing down these people, but it just creates animosity and confusion. There's got to be a better way. Um, so my biggest struggle, that honestly, I don't have an answer for still, but my biggest struggle with nutrition is everybody knows what they need to do. Everybody knows that they need to eat less, they need to exercise more, they need to do that to a point. Um, but how do we translate that into, to, into some effective process? How do we translate that into um, a sustainable practice, a sustainable habit? How do we coach that for people to be able to meaningfully make change? And not just make change by following a program, but by gaining enough of the requisite skill set and knowledge the nutritional knowledge um, to be able to make good decisions. It's hard mm -hmm. because we're trying to literally teach somebody something that they should have learned when they were a kid. Like imagine an adult who has no concept of mathematics at all. How the fuck would you teach them? <laughs> In a short, succinct Instagram post, how would you teach them multiplication tables yeah. when they don't even know what a number is? They don't know yeah. what one and two is. And you want to teach them how to even add things up. Yeah. It sounds so, honestly, I don't even know where I would start with that. How would I yeah. teach an adult that thing? I, do, I don't know. Honestly, the same conversation we had around nutrition. We're trying to teach people these complex processes of calories, macros, that we see as simple because it's our second nature because we've grew up mm -hmm. on this kind of stuff. Well, if we haven't grown up on it, but we at least spend a great amount of time nerding out about it to be able to bring up that for proficiency. Most people won't and don't have that. So mm -hmm. we've got to find a different plan about it. One thing, though, that I do find interesting that I think needs to get talked about more is um, the reality of eat less, move more, in theory works, but also in practical perspectives, it doesn't work. And we have a fair amount of good literature supporting why that may be from a metabolic adaptation standpoint. So it's not that calorie deficits don't work. Like, if you're in a calorie deficit, you are going to lose weight, you are going to lose fat. We can't dispute that. But the actual ability for you to be able to put yourself into a calorie deficit and to be able to sustain it, that's a very different conversation that is very challenging. And it gets infinitely more challenging the more that you eat less and the more that you work more. So when we go around telling people, oh, just eat less, move more, that's all you need to know. And that's what I'll tell the gen pop person as like the actionable step, that's going to work some to a point, maybe. But there's also going to be so many things that are getting in the way of their ability to be able to do that long-term of eating less and eating more. One thing from a psychological perspective, because they're trying to juggle so many balls, but also from a physiological perspective, because of what happens when you start throwing these stressful insults of a lot of extra exercise and you start taking away a lot of food. Because the body does have compensatory mechanisms in place. Where um, one study that I spoke about at my seminar that I love to come back to is from the researcher Herman Ponzer, who does a lot of work on energy compensation and metabolic compensation, is um, what they found through assessing a very, very large population of people was this additive model doesn't really apply, where we would expect if you were to go on a treadmill and burn a thousand calories from whatever workout you did, that should then mean you are now in a thousand calorie deficit and you should be losing some weight from that. And the reality is it doesn't happen like that. We get a compensation where, yes, you burn a thousand calories in that exercise, but your body compensates by burning 
200 or 500 less calories outside of the exercise. Now, part of you is going to be like, that's still good. I'm still up and net 600, 700 calories a calorie burn. I'm going to lose weight. Yeah, you are. What do you do? But you're also now at a 300 calorie loss on some metabolic function, maybe mm. hormonal production, maybe sex hormones, maybe it's immune function. Maybe it's just repair of your joints so you can come back and train again. Mm. And these things don't stop you from losing weight. You're not going to now like no longer lose weight, but it could make things more difficult in terms of your ability to then be able to keep training long-term, exercising mm. long-term, um, being able to stay healthy and not get sick and then overeat when you're sick or all these kinds of variables. It makes things very complicated, not to mention all the chemical signaling that goes on from a hunger hormone, from a satiety, from an energy perspective, all those changes that happen at the same time. So this is why I think we can't just have the conversation around saying, eat less, move more. It's, mm -hmm. it's eventually got to become more nuanced. Um, and this is where, like, when I look at dieting, I have a slightly more unorthodox approach for fat loss than other people. Um, where I prefer to diet people as aggressively and as hard as possible, as early as possible, and say, I want to remove as much calories as possible, as much energy from your, from your dietary intake as I can, when you have the most amount of fat to lose. Because you have a lot of energy to, to then use as stored yeah. energy. And then as you get leaner, I can't diet you as hard. I need to give you more food. Mm -hmm. I need to... Um, Maybe I did a 30% or a 40% calorie deficit when you were 20, 30% body fat. But now that you're 10, 15% body fat, you can only be in a 10 or 15% calorie deficit. So they're too, mm. you're still dieting, you're still in a, in a deficit period, but the magnitude changes. The reason why I think going so aggressively at the start is beneficial um, is honestly more so looking at it from the compliance and adherence perspective. When you have someone who's got a lot of excess body fat, what's motivating to them? Seeing a lot of results. And what's yeah. sustainable for them? It's like they can sustain seeing big losses in body fat and it won't be that stressful on their body. It won't be because they have so much body fat on their body, the body can't afford to use it all up. But when you have less body fat available, it's more stressful to take off that one little percent. So you've mm -hmm. got to do it a lot slower. If you tell someone from day one, it's going to be a very slow, drawn-out process, and you've got to be very meticulous of tracking all your calories to make sure you're having this perfect 10% deficit, tell that to my mum. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but if I tell her, hey, you know what? We're going to slash away two of your meals. You eat four meals a day, you're going to have two meals a day. You can do some intermittent fasting just to take away your calories, not because fasting is magical. I'm going to have you eating a lot more protein and taking away your cake or whatever, just making these really big easy to implement strategies for them yeah. um i think that's my personal this is my own strategy it's not it's not the the science of what you should do but that's sort of part of like how i like to approach things because i'm trying to understand and relate this energy conservation thing in as and adherence at the same time as translating it to results for people the science of working with people <laughs> that's that's the missing part i think and it's, yeah um, yeah, yeah. Like, how can I relay this message where it makes sense and troubleshoot? And I think, you know, staying research informed is important, but then we got to come up with ways to get people results, <laughs> get them yeah. doing what they want to do. And that's where it comes around to this problem solving 
mentality. And that's a good mentality for, I think all coaches to adopt and not be so dogmatic in their mm. approaches and systems. It's like, what's the best solution for this person with their goals and for what they can do. And are we limiting people by choosing one form of exercise or training, you know, yeah. to have them feel limited when uh, I am on vacation or I got injured and now I can't do all these things I, I was having success with. It's, you know, I think that's where our lines cross really well in that, that same kind of, uh, mentality towards fitness. So, um, what's like uh, up next for you? Like, what are you working on right now? Like you just finished um, the Canadian tour. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't have any plans of, of touring for a while. I'll probably do another short one maybe next year. Um, I'm going a lot more all in. I mean, I'm always going all in with, um, with Gambaru. I want to make it, um, I, I think it's already a pretty ridiculous platform. Um, I'm obviously biased because I've been working on it for so many years. Um, but from an objective outside perspective, when I try to compare it to what else is out there in terms of the different diet coaching apps, the different tracking apps, the different programming apps or workout apps, I say there is nothing comparable to it. And I want to make it even better. You know, like, like right now it's heavily centered around, um, around me and my programs and Hey, here's a lot of my programs, but like the next thing we're bringing out in a couple of weeks is a build your own workout. So you can essentially create whatever you want on it. Cool. But I want to make sure that there's resources for people that know how to do that or how to modify things and, um, do that. And then give them, give them more of that guidance to be able to really take charge of themselves and not have to rely on me releasing, Hey, I've got this new push pull leg program, but right. also how to use all the resources, um, alongside the programs, um, to make it even better. Um, and just a lot of collaborations. Like uh, I'm excited for you to come out to Australia because I know that'll be really good to be able to um, get some work in together, to be able to just mm -hmm. train together and just hang out. I'm super, super excited. Um, and these are, these are things like I'd love to be able to bring on to um, check my social media as well is um, it kind of, you know, in a way it, it gets boring being the one man show. It's just me where I'm like, the industry is not about that. The world is not about that. It should be about why would I want to talk all that flexibility and mobility when I can bring on someone like yourself and say, Hey, tell me about as someone who's gone deep into the flexibility and mobility world, as somebody who's gone deep into the odd lift, old time, strong man, old time lifter world, I would rather consult you on that and say, look, what can mm -hmm. you share as opposed to me trying to filter through, uh, like my best interpretation of something at secondhand information from you. I'd rather mm -hmm. say, no, just, just go to the source. Um, it's much more impact for people um, to be able to get that. So my big thing is, yeah, finding ways to just collaborate more with people like yourself um, who are putting out great information because I'm always about trying to share that with people because people ask where I learned what I learned. So it's from people like yourself. You know, like mm. I'm, a, I'm a big consumer. I'm a big consumer of, of, of content like that. Like, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a member on, on your range of strength community because I'm following your program because I think it's, it's cool. I, I want to, like, I can, I've complete confidence in my ability to write something that would be effective for improving my mobility. And I'm like, well, well, why would I though? Why would I one thing go to the effort? But even then, like when there's something that is already done out there, that's done so exceptionally well, why would I not want to just do that? Like it's, there's no ego. That's like, I know I'm a consumer. I want to, I want to go to the source for that. And like, I'll probably learn even more and I'm going to pick up things that I'm like, oh yeah, 
that's a good exercise to do that I wouldn't have even considered. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's my thing. It's kind of open ended. Like fortunately for me, with um, with Gambaru, there's always like I'm always going to be keeping those members engaged and keeping them um, progressing forwards. I'm always going to be creating contents. But my my global general goal moving forward is just it's collaborations. It's bringing people like yourselves to the spotlight because um, they need to see more of that. Yeah, yeah, I respect that. That's I see like a lot more of that happening now as well with the online kind of approach is like yeah let's come together let's yeah bring like if, if our goal really is to bring the audience the message of each other's work and stuff like that like let's do that and it's uh it's got so much more value for people in that way and seeing that we're you know able to do that and and do it in such a way where we can relate to this a similar audience um uh, it's cool, man. I'm excited to come out there. I've never, I've never been outside of North America, so. Yeah, I thought you booked your, you booked your flight yesterday. How long are you yeah. out for? I'm looking at my calendar. I you, am. I'll be there for dates? two weeks. Two weeks from uh, which date? It's like the 10th of November to, I think. The 24th. Tw- it's like full two 20th. weeks. Okay. 24th, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool! Yeah, like awesome. That. So, yeah, you're gonna have a good because you've got you got your Melbourne events 1920. And you said you get yeah. that's the start list on there. Then you have yeah, you have a few days after as well. Fantastic! Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. That was your that's recommendation. Be, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you glad you snuck that in. Um, yeah. I'm excited. We'll be able to get so much stuff done here. Be able to take you around and just show you through Melbourne. It's a good time of year. Um, I mean, I did just hear on the news today that was the third year in a row where in Australia we're having this. Um, La Nina or El Nino, whatever, some weather pressure, which means we're going to have another really wet, shitty season of summer, end of the year, <laughs> third year in a yeah. row. But it's, it's, it's still better than the winter of Canada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I won't mind. Yeah. It'll be all good. Well, uh, thanks for taking time and sitting down with me and chatting. I'm looking forward to pushing this out. It'll, it'll get into, I think, a lot of people's heads and they'll be able to relate to this message for sure. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear it. I'm so glad that we can make time for this. And thank you for having me on. It's a great time. I'll talk soon. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.